Good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm Lance. Glad you're here, Pastor at Falls. Uh, we have a special guest speaker today, uh, Doug Ossifer. Doug and Don have been a part of our church the last four years. Um, and Doug has, um, has, has a great job. He's a, he's a leader of a, a great company in our area. And uh, he has continued to feel uh, a strengthening call of God to do ministry. And uh, we've been uh, talking about it over the last four years since they moved back to the uh, Sioux Falls area after living a lot of years in Brandon Valley. And, and so Doug is kind of a unique, disciplined, hardworking guy, like getting up you know, early in the morning because he wanted to do ministerial training. So he started doing things in correspondence and taking classes in the morning, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning to study hours before he'd go to work. And he got his ministerial license with the Assemblies of God on his own working out of his house. And then uh, he's also gotten ordained this past spring and he's preaching around. He spoke uh, at the gospel mission, spoke at the, didn't you do that trucker's place once too, Doug, for us? Yeah, and uh, also he's uh, helped in relief at a few. He's getting a little name for himself over in those Christian reform zones in northwest Iowa where he's been doing some filling in uh, pulpit ministry. So after he got ordained, I said, hey, Doug, you know, take a Sunday and preach at Falls Church. So we were working on that a couple months ago. I said, how about June 18th? He said, that's Father's Day. I said, that sounds great. He's a great dad, good husband. Uh, impeccable character and integrity, and uh, I said, you know, we're going to be doing the life of David with the series Jesus, King, uh, King of Kings, and so he picked a psalm where he could connect to the heart uh, of David and share some principles on prayer with us, so uh, he's going to be our guest speaker. Will you welcome Doug Ossifert to Falls Church? Welcome, Doug. You set the bar high. Thank you. Good morning, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers here today. As Lance mentioned, over the past four years through going to classes, and, and there was a lot of projects outside of Falls Church that Lance was very, very helpful with. In fact, he mentored me over the past four years. So today, I get the opportunity to publicly say thank you, Lance, for all your help over the past four years. As Lance mentioned, we're going to be talking about, continuing talking about King David today. Lance has been on a series, as you know, about the life of King David. We're going to talk about King David, not in that series, but we're going to look at Psalm 86. And we're going to look at the prayer life of King David. And we're going to look at it and see what takeaways can we have for ourselves. But before we get into Psalm 86, there are a number of questions that I want to answer or want to talk about briefly before we get into it. And so in the first part of the message, we're going to talk about what is prayer? Why should I pray? Who should I pray to? Does it matter to God if I pray? And why did God create me? Those are all very strong questions, and we could talk all morning on those questions, I'm sure an hour on each one of those. So we're gonna move through them very quickly. So when we talk about prayer and what is prayer, prayer is simply talking to God. We as human beings, we are limited in our knowledge and power. We are prisoned in space and time, and we are hampered by sin and self-will failure. But yet, 
the God that created the universe that we're going to look at here too wants to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with each and every one of us and the way to do that is through prayer. So prayer is, is continual communication with God. It's not seeking our own will. It's seeking to do the will of God and through direction with him. So the question comes up, why did, why did God create us? And if we look at uh, Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they have been created and have their being. So we know God is responsible for creating everything, but why did he create us at the center of his universe? And the simple reason for that is for his pleasure. Now let me explain a little bit. God didn't create us because he wanted to have a little game to play with human beings. He didn't put us down on planet Earth so we could scurry around and he watched us like we would watch a bunch of ants. He created us because he wanted to have a personal relationship with us. He created us in his image. God in his all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, didn't, he didn't need us. He was not looking for a friend. He didn't need a friend, but he's a creative being and so he created us. So God stands and God knocks at our heart's door. And in Revelation 3.20, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, when we hear that verse, our mind normally goes to, that is a verse intended for people that have not received Christ into their life. And when you look at that verse, I think that's very appropriate because that is true. God doesn't, the Lord Jesus, they did not force himself on anyone but they call to us. But if we look at that verse in the context of when it was written, it was written to the church at Lacedosia. And the church at Lacedosia was a church of believers. So if it was written to a church of believers, what does it mean to you and I if we have accepted Christ in our heart? I think the answer to that can be found in, just a, in, in, in the same chapter with that, but just a few verses earlier in Revelations uh, 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I think what God is saying to us is if, if we don't stay in communication with him, if we want to go our own way, we're in for trouble. Because it's only when we stay in communication. So even though we be believers, God still stands at the door and knock unless we are in communication with him. So why does God extend us this invitation? Why does it matter to him that me mortals pray? It matters to him profoundly to God. He created the world with humanity in the center. And it is through love that he created us. When asked to identify the most important rule in life, Jesus said, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And right there sums up once again that God's most treasured thing he wants from us is us. He does not force himself on any of us. He stands and calls to us as an invitation for us to come to him. In the time of Jesus, it was very common for the followers of a rabbi to ask questions and to learn from them because they didn't have the written word, they didn't have video, they didn't have classes. And Jesus' disciples were no different because they often asked him questions. And one recorded question we have in scripture. It's when they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And from that, we have the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to get in, into the Lord's Prayer because, again, that could be another message. It could be another series. 
But we are going to talk about briefly the first part of it. Because when Jesus said, when you pray, he began by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. So one of the important things we need to remember in prayer is how great and how awesome is this God we serve. If we look at the state of South Dakota, it's about 400 miles east to west. We got the Black Hills out in the west. We got some badlands in between, some prairies, some farm ground as you come east. Quite amazing. It's one state in the lower 48 of the United States. The United States is about 2,900 miles east to west, all created by God. And the United States sits in the North American continent on the planet Earth. And if we look at the planet Earth, the planet Earth is about 25,000 miles in circumference. And if we just think about that, that God created that, we have to be in awe because of all the different cultures, all the different people, all the different things across and around the world. But what God we serve is greater than that because planet Earth is only one planet in the Milky Way galaxy. And in the Milky Way galaxy, there are nine planets that spin and orbit around the sun. And they stay in perfect balance throughout the, throughout the thousands of years. And people have studied this. We have Stonehenge, we have Chichen Itza, and we have other, other Mayan ruins where people, they found where people have studied this, and they've watched the planet's orbit, and they're in perfect balance, and they spin, and they set their calendars to it. Pretty amazing. All created by the God we serve. But it gets bigger than that. Because if we look at the Milky Way galaxy, and these numbers I'm using here, I just pulled these from Wikipedia. So if, you, if you're into this and you say you're off on your numbers, you can take it up with Wikipedia. But according to them, according to Wikipedia, the Milky Way galaxy is some 100,000 light years in diameter. One light year is six trillion million miles. So the diameter of the Milky Way is 600 quadrillion miles. That's a six with 17 zeros behind it. Pretty amazing. But it gets bigger than that. Because according to Wikipedia, they have identified some 170 billion galaxies today, of which the Milky Way galaxy is only one. And if you look at within that, and if we look at the stars in the known universe today, they say that there are some 76 trillion stars in the known universe. And, and I didn't even know what a sextillion was. I, I can't, can't think that big, so I had to Google it. And one sextillion is a one with 21 zeros behind it. So 76 trillion is a seven with 22 zeros behind it. So you may be saying, what does this have to do with prayer? And where are you going with this? Well, we're going to get to that right now. Because if we look in Isaiah 40:26. It says, look your, look, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He brings them out, the stars, one by one, and calls them each by name. If this God that we serve is that awesome and that vast, that we can't even bring our mind, at least I can't, to get my mind around how vast is this universe that he created, and he can call out 76 trillion stars by name. How much more important are you, the one he created in his image, the one he wants to have a personal relationship with? And to have that personal relationship requires a life of prayer, of staying in, communion, or in communication with him. We serve a great God, 
and he doesn't force himself on any of us. So we're going to go into a time of worship here, and then we're going to come back, and we are going to look at Psalm 86. We're going to look at the prayer life of David, and what takeaways can we take from that psalm and from the prayer life of David that apply to us today? As I said earlier, we're going to be looking at Psalm 86 and a prayer of David. And it's one thing in, in life, and I think it's human nature, that when we tend to think of someone at times, we tend to remember and think about the worst thing that person could have ever done. And if we talk about King David, and he asked people about King David, I think one thing that would come up is they would say, isn't this the guy that had the affair with Uriah and then, then had her husband killed to cover up his sin? And that would be true. Because the Bible, the Bible doesn't cover up the faults of many of the people that are there. But yet this is the same guy that when you look into Scripture, it says, God said, here's a man after my own heart. So there's encouragement for us there, right? Because whatever we have done, there's encouragement for us. Because if David could be forgiven, so can we. So let's look at Psalm 86. And I think we'll get a little insight into, into David and why God would say, make that comment about him. So verses 1 through 4. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call on you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. David begins by pouring his heart out to God and putting himself, basically, as we would say, at the foot of the cross because he knows he's done wrong. And different times through David's life, he's went into prayer. As Lance, through Lance's sermon, we found, you know, when David was being pursued by Saul, he was hiding in the cliffs of the rocks and hiding out in caves, and he was in great anguish, and he always went to the Lord in prayer. And even in Psalm 51, David makes a statement. David says that God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart is one that recognizes the sin they have committed, and they turn to God for forgiveness, and they're at God's mercy and say, I can't do it. I failed. But through God, there is forgiveness. And I think what makes David and is right for us, because it's when the heart is right, is when God would say, this is an individual after my own heart. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that made the comment that said, at the, at the heart of every problem, there's a problem with the heart. And it's one thing to go into prayer. But if we don't feel the real need for forgiveness as David pours his heart out, I don't think we can receive what David received. Even though David was forgiven for his sins, he still paid a penalty because we're not allowed to sin successfully. And David was forgiven for those, but, it, but it's, Scripture is very clear that he paid the price through, through problems in his family in the years to come. And times we can be in a situation to where we think we're being, we're being taken beyond our limits. God, I can't, I can't take this pressure. I can't stand up to this anymore. And I think Chuck Swindoll sums this up very good when he says, Our Lord understands our limits. He realizes our struggle, struggles. He knows how much pressure we can take. He knows what measure of grace and mercy and strength we'll require. He knows how we're put together. He knows how we're put together because he created us. And it's when we feel that remorse and we turn to God that there can be forgiveness. And if we move on from there and we look at the next verses in this psalm, it says, 
You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. As we mentioned in the first part of our message, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach him how to pray, and the first thing he said was, to, you should acknowledge and remember the God you serve. And David starts in his prayer with anguish, because he's in anguish of a situation he's in and the sin in his life. But he comes to a point where he truly acknowledges God, as should we. And he says, among the gods there is none like you, Lord. All the nations you have made, you alone are God. He puts him in his rightful place. And David moves on from there into the verses 11 through 13, and he says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths and from the realm of the dead. One advantage we have today versus at the time of King David. At the time of King David, the only scripture he had to rely on was the first five books of the Bible. He didn't have the balance of the Old Testament and all the New Testament and the life of teachings of Jesus. But when David says in verse 11, he says, teach me your way, Lord, he's asking him to show him how he should live and how he should go about his life. And we have an advantage because we have the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus said he is the way. So what did he mean? If we, if we were in a different town or a different community where we were not familiar, and we would ask somebody for direction, and they would say, well, just get on the interstate out here, and it's... I think it's a second or third exit. There's a, there's a big bank building on a corner. I think it may be U.S. Bank. Get off there and then take another left and go down and you'll see a big tree on the corner. Take a right, go to the second or third. If we had those kind of directions, we very likely could get lost. But when Jesus says, I am the way, he does give us direction, but he does more than just give us directions. He says, come to me, take my hand, and I'll take you there you won't have to go it alone because I will take you to where you need to be. And he says, I am the truth. There is nothing false in Jesus. He came to this earth for us, for our salvation. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could have eternal life if we put our faith and trust in him. So when David says, teach me your way, we know as followers where we should put our faith and how we should follow. David goes on from there into, into verses 14 through 17. And he said, Eric and foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show me your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you, just as my mother did. Give me a sign of goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
David begins here by saying, you know, Lord, not only are these people that are attacking me, not only are they my foes, they're you, they're yours. They have no, they have no respect for you. But you, Lord, are gracious and good. Slow to, slow to process or slow to hold people to their accountability because he wants no one to perish. And he asked in his prayer, he says, give me a sign. Give me a sign, not for, not for me, because I know who you are, but give me a sign for these enemies that they may see and know you and how great you are. One of the th problems we have in society, and I think everybody's experienced this, is a breakdown in communication. And that can happen whether it's in relationships, family, in your job, wherever it is. If communication breaks down, things can go awry. And so through prayer and through Jesus, when, when the words were written in, the, in Revelation and says, I stand at the door and knock, he's calling to us to enter into that relationship of prayer. And one of the other great things, we talked about how awesome God is. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He does not sleep and he does not slumber. He's available to us 24-7. If you were to try to call one of the senators in the state or even the president of the United States, do you think you would get through? I doubt it. And if you call, would you get a recording that says, press one for prayer for health concerns, press two for prayer and family, press three for prayer on, for financial concerns? No. God is available for us 24-7, wherever we are at, whenever we need prayer, He's available. He wants us to come to him in prayer. He reaches out his hand and he calls to us. Philippians 14.6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He knows we have needs. He put us together. He created us. But it's within our own being to take the step to enter into that relationship and have continued communication with them. I'll close with just a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is the oxygen of the spiritual life. Without it, we die. Through prayer, we explore and have a deeper relationship with the creator of the universe. In all things, pray. Amen. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.sf. <laughs>